Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel blessed by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, today I want to talk to you um, the view from the cross. Because I think it has something to speak to each one of us that is gathered here today. You know, if you ever doubt the self-centeredness of your life or the sinfulness of your life, look no further than the cross. You see, God's estimation of the price of sin is seen there. But also, God's estimation of your value is seen there. That God would send His one and only Son to die for you shows you not only the price of sin, but also the price of your soul. God thinks you're worth quite a bit, amen? It's a beautiful thing. Well, how does the view from the cross speak to us today? You know, after Jesus was betrayed by Judas and led through a mockery of a trial, you know, he stood before Pontius Pilate and was sentenced to death. Imagine waking up and finding Jesus being paraded through the streets as a condemned criminal when a week before he was being heralded as the king. He's carrying his cross. He's wearing that crown of thorns. And this is the first view that we see from the cross. Well, how does the cross speak to us today? Let's pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit's help and wisdom. Father God, thank you for everybody gathered here today. Lord, we are gathered here because we celebrate your goodness to us, Lord, your great sacrifice and your great mercy. Bless the preaching of your word to our hearts and help us to receive and respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is carrying his cross. The town wakes up to, or the city wakes up to see this shock. They don't know what's really going on. But I want you to understand that not only is the city of Jerusalem present, but a great multitude, probably the city is more than doubled in size because it's the Passover weekend. The Passover weekend where the Jewish people gather together to celebrate the fact that the angel of death passed over them when they put on the doorposts of their, of their houses of the blood of a, of a lamb and where the angel of death would pass by and if he saw that blood, he would pass by that home and all within were saved. And so here we see Jesus Christ carrying his cross. This multitudes of people are gathered and the first view from the cross that I want to look at is a man by the name of Simon. Simon's view from the cross. The scriptures in Mark 15 say a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Can you imagine Simon's horror? He, he's literally gathering. He has his two children with him. He's come to Jerusalem from Cyrene to, to celebrate the Passover, and suddenly he sees this parade going by him, and maybe Jesus stumbles at that moment. We don't know why, but the Roman soldiers conscripted him and said, carry this man's cross. Wow. Suddenly, he's pulled into this story and into this narrative. You see, nobody's really an innocent bystander when we look at the view from the cross. Simon was just 
on the journey to the Passover there and celebrating with his family. And suddenly he's pulled into this story. You see, the cross has something to say to us all. I was praying and just asking God, why is Simon in this story, Lord? And it's kind of interesting. A couple thoughts came to me. Number one, Jesus couldn't carry his cross on his own. How many of you, how many of you think that gives you hope? Because the Bible calls us to carry our cross now as we follow Jesus. And, and sometimes that's a heavy burden. And every one of you know that as you carry the cross in your life and the things you have to bear. You know, it's a very encouraging thing to understand that we can't do it on our own. We need God and we need the body of Christ. We need the help of others even as we carry our cross. But the second part of this idea of carrying our cross, I think comes into the specific nature of Simon. It's interesting that all the names that are listed in that, it's Simon from Cyrene and his two children. So it's Simon, Rufus, and Alexander. Simon is a Hebrew name, Rufus is a Latin name, and Alexander is a Greek name. I want you to understand that this is all the known languages of the entire Roman Empire. Now there are other scattered ones, but these are the main ones. And so what we're seeing at the very moment when we look at the view from the cross is the universality of the cross. That the cross has a message to the whole world. You are not an innocent bystander. God is speaking to you and pulling you and I into this story. It affects the whole known world. As a matter of fact, when Jesus and Pontius Pilate crucified Jesus, he said right on top of the cross, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. But what's interesting is that he had it written again in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Again, showing the, the universality of the cross. We can't just stand innocently by this Easter weekend. We must realize we're being drawn into the story. I think it's interesting as well that Simon's name and the name of his children are recorded, and many scholars believe it's likely because he became a follower of Jesus and that that piece of information came out of that reality. Well, let's look at our view from the cross, or just our pulled-back view from the cross. We're going to go to Matthew 27 to do that. It says this, When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of the Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. This is a hard to imagine moment in the view from the cross because 
A week before, literally, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet now, all around the cross, the Roman soldiers, the religious leaders, even the criminals crucified next to him were now mocking him. How horrible is that? Psalm 22 proclaims the truth of what's happening as we view the cross some thousand years before the crucifixion, 700 years before crucifixion even existed and a thousand years before this event. Listen to what it says, Psalm 22. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. Crazy that that was a thousand years before the event occurred as written in Scripture. You know, everyone has kind of abandoned Jesus except for a few faithful followers, the Apostle John, and a few faithful women. But let's turn it to a different view from the cross. We've got Simon's of Cyrene's view from the cross. We see our pulled back version and looking at the cross. But now let's look at the criminal's view from the cross. You know, we can only imagine the ultimate humiliation of being paraded through the streets, carrying the instrument of your death, all the time being mocked and jeered. You know, crucifixion is probably the most horrible of all deaths ever invented by mankind, certainly one of the biggest ones. But the Romans, they were even far more brutal in that there would be entry points into cities, the entryways into cities. That's where they would line up the crucified people so that when people were coming in, they would see these poor souls that had been led to execution. And it was a total reminder of the dominance and the narrative of the control of the Roman Empire this excruciating, extremely public death was very much in the face of people as they walked by the cross. But let's look at the criminals and see what happened here. Again, in Luke 23, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, we're going to get a foreshadow. His view from the cross is coming. But here's what he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, it's these words and many others that the criminals get to hear as Jesus is on the cross. We'll look at those words in a moment. But something shifts in the viewpoint of the criminals. Let's watch that story unfold here now in Luke 23. The people stood watching, and the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Again, there was written above him the notice, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are being punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. 
Jesus is praying for them to forgive and for them to be saved. Again, the Roman soldiers, the religious leaders mock him. One criminal says insultingly to him, save yourself. The soldiers gamble for his clothes. The religious leaders sneer and hold on to their self-righteousness. While, he hung on, while they hung on to their self-righteousness, he was hanging on the cross. The first criminal sees only the temporary relief and only the temporary benefit of uniting himself to Christ, but he misses the offer of salvation. It goes right past him. But the second criminal... Something has shifted in him. He started by mocking Jesus as well. But now again, let me repeat what he said. Don't you fear God? Once, since you are under the same sentence as him, we are justly punished. We're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Again, saying to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He starts by mocking Jesus Christ and then utterly becoming aware of a few things. His guilt, God's holiness, his need of salvation, Jesus' innocence, and he asks God to remember him in the future that I might be part of your kingdom. What are the words that Jesus spoke from the cross that shifted the thinking of this man? Something changed in his heart as he sat there or hung there And he heard these words. There are seven words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And those words speak to every person today. The first one, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, a word for those in the need of forgiveness. It's interesting. The crowd mocked and insulted Jesus to the, I mean, it's just unimaginable. He's already dying and you're there mocking him and insulting him. Jesus does not respond to the mocks or the insults. But what he does respond to is when the criminal on the cross, the second criminal, asks for mercy and help. That's when suddenly something shifts in Jesus. When the remorseful, penitent criminal humbly seeks mercy, Jesus instantly responds with compassion and with assurance. You know, God is ready to respond to us today when we cry out to him. The second word from the cross is, today you will be with me in paradise. The need for those who need eternity and for everything to be set right. Church, how many of you know that there's hard things to go through in this world? But we always have eternity. Amen? No matter what we go through in this lifetime, we always have the gift, the ultimate gift of life with God in eternity for eternity. The third word from the cross is, woman, behold your son and son your mother as he speaks to his mother. And this speaks of those in need of relationship. He puts the care of his loved ones in the hands of another and All of us are desperate for a need for a relationship in this world, right? Isn't loneliness one of the greatest things that we need to overcome in this world? Every person needs to know that they are loved and they are important. The fourth word is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A word for those in the need of acceptance and love in the midst of loneliness, as we have said. 
You see, the son was not forsaken as the son, but he was forsaken as taking our place. He's the son of God who took your place and my place, and he took the place of separation so that we wouldn't ever have to be separated from God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That Jesus would pay for the separation that sin brings between us and God so that I didn't have to be separated. The fifth word is I thirst. A word for those in need of support in the midst of suffering. How many of you know Jesus understands suffering and in this world there is suffering to be had? Listen to Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Hebrews 4 says, for we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. God, we thirst for you. You understand humanity. You understand the lonely among us. You understand, Lord, our pain. When others can't possibly understand our pain, you do. You know what it means to go through suffering in this life. It is finished is the sixth word from the cross. In those of need of pardon and of purpose. <laughs> you know the word, we know this, it is finished. It's actually an accounting term. It means paid in full. And Christ paid your debt, church. Amen? He paid it in full. Literally stamped across the bill that is your life are the words paid in full. Thank God that the debt has been paid in full. That's good news for you and for me who need a pardon and who need to find purpose in our lives. Lastly, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, a word for those in need of hope and help and ultimately reunion with God. So the view from the cross has much to speak to us today. Do we see ourselves like Simon, <laughs> the innocent bystander who was just dragged into the Easter story and asked to help Christ carry his cross? Maybe that's you today. Are we like the soldiers who only looked at the external and temporary benefits of the things in this life and not the internal, eternal invitation? Are we like the religious people who are self-righteous and they think they have no need of forgiveness and salvation. But ultimately, I think the view from the cross just comes down to two people. You are either criminal number one or you are criminal number two. You see, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when we recognize that, when we understand that, and we understand that upon the cross, the sins of the entire world were placed upon Jesus Christ. It says Jesus died for the sins of the world, especially 
for those who believe. You see, it's not sin that can separate us from God because sin has been paid for in Christ. But if we don't appropriate that sacrifice, if we don't make that exchange, if we don't say, God, please forgive me, if we don't acknowledge our need of him, then the benefit of Jesus dying for our sins is not enacted for us. We still stand on our own. And so here's the two criminals. Right? Which criminal are you? The first one only wanted temporary relief from his situation. I think we as believers are tempted that way too. God, fix my issues. Fix my problem. I want you to do this for me right now. And sometimes God is saying, I'm taking you through something for a better resurrection, for something more in your life. And so we need to understand that. But the second criminal, you know, I don't know which one of the words moved him from being one who mocked God as well to one who turned to him. You see, this is the most incredible story in the Bible. He's utterly guilty. He's in the midst of paying for that crime. He wants to get down. He can't get down. He can't earn forgiveness. But he simply believes. And he asks, I want you to watch this video with me that talks about this second criminal. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, <laughs> okay, so I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, The man on the middle cross said, I can come. (laughs) Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. 
And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. Whew. By virtue of his accent alone, he's cool. But what he had to say was actually really good as well. I was thinking about the song. We didn't sing it today, and that's okay. I didn't ask him to sing it, but I just want you to hear the lyrics of a song called Death Was Arrested. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin, your love made a way for mercy to come in when death was arrested and my life began. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt. He called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed and only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet. My feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Amen? Let's close with this scripture. Romans 10. Scripture reassures us, no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. The band can make their way back now. In exactly the same, no matter what a person's religious background may be, the same God for us, all of us, acted the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls, help God, gets help. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.